Now we are delighted to have our good brother Cecil Andrews with us and his wife Margaret. It's a delight to renew fellowship with them. And our brother tonight is going to deal with the subject um, could be called the rise of progressive Christianity or what's wrong with progressive Christianity. This is a very, very vital subject. Uh, I would stress a very, very important subject. And it's good for us individually and collectively to get a handle on it. And we're delighted that our brother has studied this and he's going to come and preach that message now. Brother Cecil, thank you. Well, friends, it's a real joy for both Margaret and myself to be with you tonight. This is our first time in your new building, and it really is lovely. And uh, we wish you God's blessing as you minister here in Cary Duff. Uh, we're going to be looking at the subject of so-called uh, progressive Christianity. You're maybe saying to yourself, well, what is it? Well, I hope at the end of the meeting you will know exactly what it is. Uh, I want to frame it in uh, the context of two short portions of Scripture from Paul's second letter to Timothy, his second letter to Timothy. I would surmise that most messages that go forth from this pulpit are designed to feed the soul of God's people and maybe a little bit of fencing. But tonight, overwhelmingly, it's going to be fencing your soul to protect it from the ravenous wolves that are out there. But hopefully there will also be uh, some feeding as well. So 2 Timothy, and uh, sir, we're going to go to chapter 3 first of all, read the first five verses, and then we're going to read the first four verses of chapter 4. So this is God's word. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent. Uh, I should say when we read incontinent, we have perhaps uh, an image of somebody who has lost control of certain bodily functions. That's not what Paul means here. He basically means people who are morally unrestrained. They've lost control of all moral values. That's what it means, incontinent. Fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof, from such turn away. And then verse 1 of chapter 4, Paul writes to Timothy, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned onto fables. Amen. In those two short passages, the Apostle Paul basically highlights 
uh, traits that will appear in humanity basically during the church age, the, the last days. And they have been happening since his time, and they are certainly happening in our time. People, lovers of their own selves, unholy, without natural affection, despisers of those that are good, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. In other words, it's not just uh, in the secular uh, sphere that you're going to see these traits. You're actually going to see it in the spiritual sphere, people claiming to have a form of godliness. And then he says in chapter 4 that they will not endure sound doctrine, and they'll heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. In other words, they're going to get people to preach to them who will say to them what they want to hear, not what they need to hear. And the reality is, friends, that we are certainly living in such days today. So what exactly is progressive Christianity? Uh, well, about 15, 16 years ago, there was a challenge to Orthodox biblical Christianity. It was dubbed the Emerging Church. Uh, and I remember back in 2008 that I, I spoke in the Iron Hall on that subject. And I took as the sort of uh, springboard for what I wanted to say uh, the parable, the first eight verses of Luke chapter 18, which speaks of the uh, persistent uh, widow who was pleading with the judge to give her what she wanted. And of course, eventually the judge did relent. Uh, what was interesting was the last verse of that parable, the Lord said this, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth? Uh, Charles Rari in his study Bible said this, this does not augur for improved spiritual conditions in the world before Christ's return. John MacArthur in his study Bible says, when he returns, the truth faith will be uh, comparatively rare. The period before his return will be marked by persecution, apostasy, and unbelief. And friends, you and I are living in days of unprecedented persecution of Christians all around the world. Uh, it is definitely not politically correct to air your Christian views, you could end up losing your job, you could end up being hauled before the courts. So there is persecution, and there is loads of apostasy. Professing Christendom is riddled with it. And these are people who are preaching another gospel and another Christ by another spirit. And unbelief, increasingly, more and more people have no religious belief I think that's reflected in the, finger, uh, the figures uh, of the census that were revealed in recent days. Uh, those who have some sort of affiliation to Christianity are decreasing, and those who basically have no religion are certainly increasing. So, as I say, why did I mention the emerging church? Well, back then, about 15 years ago, John MacArthur wrote a book called The Truth War. It was designed to counteract the emerging church. And on the first page, he said this, a recent issue of Christianity Today featured a cover article about the emerging church. That is the popular name for an informal affiliation of Christian communities worldwide who want to revamp the church, change the way Christians interact with their culture, and remodel the way we think about truth itself. 
So they wanted to do church in a new way. They wanted to have a different approach to the culture that was surrounding them. And they wanted to have a rethink on what actually is truth. The emerging church was really an informal affiliation of like-minded so-called pastors around the world who had those aims in mind. Uh, It was unstructured, it was informal, and they didn't have any official creed that they subscribed to. Well, why am I talking about the emerging church? Well, it's simply this, that if the emerging church was the bud, progressive Christianity is the flower that has emerged from that bud. How did I come to know about progressive Christianity? Well, about two years ago, a Facebook friend of mine in Canada, he messaged me to say that he and his sister, and they would be Orthodox Bible-believing Christians, had had some exchanges with a niece of theirs. And the exchanges were on the subject of LGBT matters, lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender. And they were adopting the biblical line on those issues, and the niece was horrified. She thought they were totally intolerant, totally unloving uh, in comparison to her who was a progressive Christian. Mind you, she did call her aunt a pharisaical witch, uh, which didn't sound too tolerant and too loving, if I could put it that way. But that was what sort of introduced me to this topic of progressive Christianity. So I thought, well, I better do a little bit of research on the issue. And so I bought a couple of books. This one is called A Grand Illusion, How Progressive Christianity Undermines Biblical Faith. It's by a man called David Young. And early in the book, he wrote this. In recent years, many evangelicals have begun to shift from their once strongly held position on the final authority of Scripture toward a more progressive vision of the faith, one that is often built on sentiment and in general step with secular values. Progressivism is simply a rehashing of old established themes that have marked theological liberalism for nearly two centuries. Universalism is a hallmark of old-school theological liberalism. Well, universalism is the belief that at the end of the day, everybody's going to be fine. Everybody's going to be all right. Escaping the plain teachings of Scripture is necessary for progressivism, which requires that contemporary feelings define faith rather than biblical and historic Christianity. So that was one helpful book that I bought. And then there was another one, and it's called Another Gospel. Uh, It's by an American lady called Alyssa Childers. Uh, The background to this was that uh, she and her husband had moved to live in a new town, and so they started attending a new church, and they were going to the midweek meetings. And after a number of weeks, they kind of come home and looked at each other and thought, what is this guy going on about? because he was using biblical terminology, but his understanding and application of those terms was very different from what they had been used to and what they had been taught. So she writes in her book, meeting after meeting, every precious belief I held about God, Jesus, and the Bible was placed on an intellectual chopping block and hacked to pieces. The virgin birth, doesn't matter. The resurrection, probably haven't, but you don't have to believe in it. The atonement, that would be a nope. 
Now, when she writes the atonement, that would be an ope. What she's referring to is the very heart of the Christian gospel. Most progressives reject what is at the heart of the Christian gospel. And what is that? It's what we know as penal substitution. The biblical truth that on the cross, Christ as a substitute suffered the penalty that should have been due to us for our sin. He endured the wrath of God against sin. He endured the condemnation of God against sin as a substitute for those who would believe on him. But progressives, they don't like that at all. They reject it. One of their favorites is Steve Chalk, who used to present songs of praise many years ago on television. But uh, if he was ever on tracks, he has certainly gone off the tracks in the last decade or so. He wrote a book some years ago called The Lost Message of Jesus. It's amazing we had to wait 2,000 years for Steve Chalk to discover the lost message of Jesus. But this is what he wrote. John's gospel famously declares, God loved the people of this world so much that he gave his only son, John 3:16. How then have we come to believe that at the cross, this God of love suddenly decides to vent his anger and wrath on his own son? The fact is that the cross isn't a form of cosmic child abuse, a vengeful father punishing his son for an offense he has not even committed. So Steve Chalk seems to think that all of a sudden, God the Father decided, oh, this is what we're going to do, as if it was a spur-of-the-moment decision. But the apostle Peter, on the day of Pentecost, talking of the cross, he said Christ was delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. This was planned from eternity past. Christ was the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. And it certainly wasn't a form of cosmic child abuse. It is the greatest demonstration of divine love. Herein is love, not that we love God, but he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. God commended or demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So this idea of ruling out penal substitution is totally contrary to what the scriptures teach. I mean, the gospel in 1 Corinthians 15, it says Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. What does it mean by that? In other words, it was foretold, pictured in types all through the Old Testament. And there you had the sacrificial system, the innocent animal being brought forward and killed in place of the sinner who was offering it and so on. So, and what did John the Baptist say when Christ came to the Jordan? Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. That is the language of sacrifice. That is the language of penal substitution. One of those who endorsed this book is a retired bishop called N.T. Wright, and I'll make reference to someone who quotes him favorably later, but he said this, Steve Chalk's new book is rooted in good scholarship, but its clear, punchy style makes it accessible to anyone and everyone. Its message is stark and exciting. Jesus of Nazareth was far more challenging in his own day and remains far more relevant to ours than the church has dared to believe, let alone preach. And N.T. Wright is another 
who rejects penal substitution. Uh, on our ministry website some months ago, I wrote an article called NT Right is NT Wrong uh, because of another issue as well. But as I say, this is what is at the heart. They deny penal substitution. Alyssa Childers goes on to write, this dismantling of doctrinal tenets where all the beliefs someone was raised with and had never questioned are systematically pulled apart. It is something progressive Christians call deconstruction. I actually had my first experience of this way before even the emerging church. It was in 1998. Uh, I was invited by a group of what I thought were young Christians to a monthly event they held called The Last Supper. Uh, it was in College Gardens beside Methody. So we went along to whatever number it was. We had something to eat first of all. And then I was uh, allowed time to share my testimony and speak about the work I was involved in. Uh, and then they began to ask me questions. And it very quickly dawned on me, these people are not on the same page as me. They were actually deconstructing biblical terminology. They were headed by a man called Peter Rollins. He eventually formed an emergent type group in the cathedral quarter called ICON, I-K-O-N. And then after a number of years, he went to America and he's based in Los Angeles. He became friendly in America with a man called Rob Bell, uh, who pastored a, a church in Michigan, I think. Uh, he eventually was removed from that pastorate by the people in his church. Uh, he wrote a book called Love Wins, which was basically a promotion of universalism. Uh, the last I heard was he was a spiritual advisor to Oprah Winfrey, who hosts a chat show on American TV. She thinks she's a Christian, but she's not. She's a new ager, if I could put it that way. So these two books certainly gave me good insight into what progressive Christianity was. Progressive Christianity, unlike the emerging church, it's formal, it's structured, and it has a statement of faith. Uh, when I say it's formal, there is a, a website called Progressive Christianity Network Britain, and if you go to it, uh, if you click on it, they'll show you various regions in GV, and if you click on that, uh, they will tell you all of the sort of churches that describe themselves as progressive, and there's a bigger re range of denominations. Uh, there's Quakers, United Reformed Church, Anglican Church of England, Baptist, Unitarian, Church of Scotland, and the Metropolitan Community Church, nothing to do with the church in Belfast. This is an LGBT denomination. So it's formal and it's structured, and they also subscribe to an eight-point statement of faith, and I'll come to some of those points in that statement very shortly. Uh, several major denominations have been in the vanguard of promoting progressive-type teachings. Uh, the Episcopal Church, which you'll find in America and also in GB, particularly in Scotland, uh, a number of their retired bishops uh, once deceased now, John Shelby Spong, but there was another one, Richard Holloway, who had been in Scotland. These men for decades were writing articles that were basically deconstructing biblical terminology. The leader of that group in America is, uh, if you remember at Harry and Megan's funeral, 
2018 was Bishop Michael Curry, a very charismatic type preacher, spoke for 14 minutes instead of seven. And I heard people saying after that wedding, oh, it was great, he preached the gospel. Well, I must have blinked or something, but I certainly didn't hear the gospel. It sounded more like an exposition of a Beatles song called All You Need Is Love. But anyhow, he is the head of the American church, and he is in the vanguard of promoting the acceptance of so-called same-sex marriage. A couple of years ago, uh, one of the uh, heads of their uh, diocese, uh, he said, I'm not going to let any of my vicars conduct same-sex marriage. So the Episcopal Church hauled him before a kangaroo court, if I could put it that way, and uh, he was removed from the denomination. So uh, the Episcopal Church have been in the vanguard. This notice that I have here says about John Wesley's chapel in Bristol. Uh, Mark and I were able to visit a number of years ago when I was in the area. But the heading of this article is World's Oldest Methodist Church Votes Unanimously to Allow Gay Marriage. That's what they did in June of this year. Those who subscribed and go to it voted unanimously to allow it for that. Uh, The article says the Reverend Mandy Briggs uh, said, this decision to register John Wesley's new room as a venue for same-sex marriages is the latest step in our journey of allyship with the LGBTQIA plus community. They keep adding more letters and so on. It said also, the church is also holding a rainbow service on the 9th of July for LGBTQ Christians to allow them to celebrate pride through their faith. So the Episcopal Church John Wesley's Chapel. A friend of mine was holidaying in uh, Canada uh, a month or so ago. Uh, He visited uh, St. James Anglican Cathedral in Toronto. And hanging here is a banner, and at the bottom there is the Pride Colors. And uh, there was a message on their Facebook site uh, which was saying that Sunday the 26th of June will be Pride Sunday, all are welcome. And they said, proud Anglicans will be part of the Toronto Pride Parade. They are Group G11. So people were instructed where they could meet for that Pride Parade. Then the Greek Orthodox Church, uh, they issued a statement uh, which says, Greece's Orthodox Church says it will send a letter of protest to the Archbishop who heads the church in the United States after he baptized the children of celebrity fashion designer Peter Dundas and his partner Evangelo Busis. And Evangelo would be a man. So uh, the Greek church don't recognize same-sex marriage, so they sent a letter of protest. Then this is another uh, thing that I noticed on the internet. It's the Holy Spirit Lutheran Church in Edmonton in Alberta. Holy Spirit Lutheran Church welcomes you to join us for our first drag story hour on September the 4th, 2022. We will be having some local kings, queens join us for a story time and a small performance. And then they put this uh, caveat, unhelpful or harmful comments will be deleted as soon as possible from this post. In other words, they weren't gonna uh, stand for any criticism of their decision. I mentioned Steve Chalk earlier. 
and he and a former Archbishop of Canterbury, Rowan Williams, uh, they sent a letter to the then Prime Minister, Boris Johnson, in April of this year, and this is what they said. To be trans, in other words, transgender, is to enter a sacred journey of becoming whole, precious, honoured, and loved by yourself, by others, and by God. And the chap who wrote this report said, the Chalk Williams letter has exposed an uncomfortable but now unavoidable truth about at least some of the LGBT movement. It is a religion which teaches that spiritual enlightenment, sacred, becoming whole, comes through bodily harm. In this, it most clearly resembles forms of paganism, seeking transcendental satisfaction via the drastic mutilation of the flesh. And he ended his report, when chemical sterilization and physical mutilation are promoted as a sacred journey to wholeness, it is time to realize that those who say such things are not offering the rest of us solutions. It is time to see them as just perhaps part of the problem. Well, for me, there's no perhaps. They are part of the problem when they come out with stuff like that. So those are some of the uh, things that are happening uh, around the world in various denominations and with certain leading figures. I mentioned then about these uh, eight points of faith that the people subscribe to. And uh, I'll not go through all of them, but I will mention some of them. And this is what they affirm. First of all, we believe that following the path of the teacher, Jesus, can lead to healing and wholeness, a mystical connection to God, as well as an awareness and experience of not only the sacred, but the oneness and unity of all life. Well, first of all, the best you get in these eight points is Jesus referred to as a teacher. Nowhere is he referred to as the Lord Jesus Christ. Nowhere in the eight points is sin, Calvary, or the cross mentioned. Could you imagine any Christian grouping or denomination drawing up a basis of faith and not mentioning the Lord Jesus Christ and not mentioning sin, Calvary, or the cross? But they also talk about a mystical connection to God and the oneness and unity of all life. Those things are more akin to uh, Eastern mysticism or Hinduism, uh, which teaches what we call pantheism, which is that everything is God and God is everything. And of course, they have practices to help you uh, unite uh, uh, with the, the God of everything. Uh, yoga, for uh, exa example, is one method they employ. Yoga simply means union. So that's point number one. Then point number two, we affirm that the teachings of Jesus provide but one of many ways to experience God the sacredness, oneness, and unity of life, and that we can draw from diverse sources of wisdom, including earth, capital E, in our spiritual journey. Well, again, the best that Jesus gets here is to be recognized as a teacher, but he's only one of many ways to experience God, according to these people. Well, that's a flat, outright denial of the wonderful scriptures that were read at the Queen's funeral. John 14, 1 to 6, which ends up, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. 
And Peter in Acts 4, 12 says, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given amongst men whereby we must be saved. I mentioned the Queen's funeral, and Anglicanism actually has been contributing for decades towards this progressive Christianity that has emerged. Uh, a former Archbishop of Canterbury was Robert Runcie, and in May 1986, he was invited by the World Congress of Faiths to give a talk there, and he said he encouraged true dialogue, that's between the various religious, as he felt that that would help overcome religious divisiveness, and as a result could create conditions for greater fellowship and deeper communion. How can we have fellowship and communion with religions that deny the Lord Jesus Christ, that are totally alien to the gospel of Christ? He went on to say, it can help us to recognize that other faiths than our own are genuine mansions of the Spirit. Is the Spirit present in Buddhism and Hinduism and Islam, whatever it happens to be? No, it is absolutely not. But that was said back in 1986, and you see it filtering down through the ages, uh, and even the present Archbishop of Canterbury at the Queen's, did you hear what he said? He said, we must all stand before the merciful judgment of God. Where do you find the expression, merciful judgment of God? Yes, we will all stand before the judgment of God. But for some, it will certainly not be merciful. If you read Romans 2, verse 5, that is very, very plain. But anyhow, that was point number two. And capitalizing earth is virtually ascribing divinity to the earth. And again, that smacks of Hinduism. Point three, we seek and create community that is inclusive of all people including but not limited to conventional Christians and questioning skeptics, believers and agnostics, those of all sexual orientations and all gender identities. And there's other categories listed as well. But those three are there. What these people are trying to create in the name of Christianity is a community that is all-embracing, you can be a believer and a non-believer. You can be a member of that community. And not only can you be a member, but you can also be in leadership. These people are welcoming all sexual orientation and gender identities. They are mimicking the conditions that the Apostle Paul referred to in Romans chapter 1. And he mentioned sort of three phases, if I could put it that way. Uh, in verse 24, he says, Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lusts of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. There was a sexual revolution in those days. And as a teenager, I was growing up through the 1960s, and that's when the sexual revolution in our time happened. Uh, the flower power people and all in uh, San Francisco and that sort of thing. And then in verse 26, it says, for this cause, God gave them up unto vile affections for even their women to change the natural use into that which is against nature. There was a sexual revolution. Then there was a homosexual revolution. And my friends, we have been living through one huge homosexual revolution. It is filtering into, impinging in every aspect. And in the last week, I've been really sickened 
I love sport. I love cricket. I played it for years. And the second test match against South Africa, what did they have? They had the rainbow colours on the stumps. They gave all of the players rainbow laces and they had a rainbow flag flying in the second test match. And just the other day, it was announced that in the World Cup that's coming up in Qatar, the England team will wear this thing on their sleeve, one love, and it's all the rainbow colours. And I think other European countries who will be there are going to do likewise. They poison and they taint everything with their agenda. And so this homosexual revolution is being pushed all around the world. So there's the sexual revolution, the homosexual revolution. And then in verse 28, it says, And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind. Well, what's a reprobate mind? It's a mind that's totally useless. And the result of having a useless mind, it's basically insanity. And friends, we're living in an insane world. We have political parties in Westminster, and they can't even define what a woman is. That's the madness of the world that we are living in. So friends, these beliefs that these people subscribe to are detrimental to the person of Christ and to the work of Christ. So where do we find locally these adherents of so-called progressive Christianity? Well, the main uh, bastion of it would be in Carrickfergus. There's a group called Harbour Faith Community, and uh, they have a pastor called Steve Ames, and they are very much in the forefront of this drive for progressive Christianity. Uh, Back in 2020, Uh, Mr. Ames was quoted by the Belfast Telegraph. Uh, At that time, there was a public consultation going on about uh, whether same-sex marriage should be uh, legalized or not. And in an article in January of 2020, uh, Steve Ames said, I sincerely hope that it will be legalized. In December of that year, he then got his wishes as it was legalized, and he said, I hope to be the first to carry out this uh, procedure. And he did. He conducted the first same-sex marriage. They have a website, the Harbour Faith Community, and this is what they say on it. We declare ourselves to be an open and affirming congregation, welcoming into the full life and ministry of the church persons of every race, culture, age, gender, sexual orientation, ability, and economic status. They're basically reflecting that point three of the eight points of faith. But what they're affirming there is in direct conflict with Paul, what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 to 10. He said this, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall enter into the kingdom of God. So, uh, as I say, harbor faith is very much uh, to the forefront uh, of that. Uh, Then also in Northern Ireland, there's uh, a group in Downpatrick called Down Community Church. Uh, The pastor of that church is a man called Gordon McDade. 
Uh, I first met Gordon McDade quite a number of decades ago. He was then minister of John White Memorial Congregational Church off the Shankill Road, and he asked me to do a meeting for him. He then moved from there to be the assistant pastor in Strandtown Baptist Church, and then he eventually became the pastor in Balnehinch Baptist Church. He was there for a number of years, then he left under a little bit of a cloud, and he ended up on the north coast for a time at the Causeway Vineyard Church. But now he's in Downpatrick with this Down Community Church, and he would certainly subscribe uh, and be involved in progressive events. He works uh, quite closely with a, a lady called Karen Sathuraman. Uh, she describes herself as the first female Baptist minister in Ireland. I assure my good Baptist friends that she didn't get her credentials from the Baptist College in Moira, uh, but that's what she describes herself. And she is pastor of a group called Soul Space, a peace and reconciliation hub based in Belfast. She's also the founder of a group called Spectrum, a space set up for uh, Belfast LGBT people of faith. And uh, Spectrum would hold monthly meetings, and one of the speakers who has been there is Steve Ames. So her and Gordon McDade would uh, work together, and uh, back in March of this year, I saw photographs uh, online of a commissioning service for a lady called Patricia Whiteside, who was going to become a chaplain and pastor uh, for the Soul Space Group in Belfast. The commissioning service was held in All Souls non-subscribing Presbyterian Church in Elmwood Avenue. And the photograph showed uh, this lady, Patricia Whiteside, and Gordon McDade, and Karen Sathuraman, and the minister of All Souls, who's Chris Hudson, all laying hands on this lady to commission her. And there were various flags uh, in the church, including, of course, the rainbow flag. Because All Souls is the, the Pride Church. Uh, on a Saturday in August, you have the Pride Parade in Belfast, and then the next day, they have a service, and it's held in this All Souls Church and so on. So uh, there we have, uh, we have the Harbor Faith Community Church, we have Down Community Church, we have Soul Space and Spectrum, we have All Souls. Uh, and then for a number of years, there was a group called Left Side Up, and they had an office up the Donegal Road. Uh, thankfully, by January of this year, it's closed down. Uh, I saw they were selling off their office furniture and so on, so I don't know whether economics eventually uh, caused them to uh, close down. So who was involved there? Well, there was a couple, Ian and June Carton. Ian Carton, up until last year, had been the minister of Whitehead Presbyterian Church. And then he resigned that position and resigned from the Presbyterian Church full stop. His wife apparently hadn't been going to the church for about a year before he did that. The reason they both left was they didn't like the Presbyterian Church attitude to LGBT matters. In other words, they didn't agree that they should hold the biblical line as the PCI was actually doing. So they were involved there. There's also a lady called Lindsay Robinson. She was involved. So who is she? Well, she is the wife of Gavin Robinson, who is the MP for East Belfast. 
And when I saw that, I thought, I wonder, does that explain why a few years ago when he was on the, the campaign trail looking for votes in an upcoming election, I saw a photograph of him, and he was standing, and there was a man on either side of him. They both had red T-shirts on, and on the T-shirt, it said, Love Equality. And Gavin Robinson was holding like a little tract, red with the words, Love Equality. These were gay men who were wanting same-sex marriage to be recognized. Well, I appreciate politicians want to uh, covet votes from whatever quarter, but you don't do it at the expense of promoting their particular agenda. But I wonder, was Gavin Robinson influenced to a degree by his wife, Lindsay? So that was left side up. Then in Belfast and Donegal Street, uh, there's a church called Redeemer Central. It occupies the premises that were formerly used by uh, Donegal Street Congregational Church. And in March of this year, uh, I received uh, on an email from someone that I didn't know, but they thought uh, what they included in the email would be of interest to me. And it was a screenshot of an announcement that had been made in the church on Sunday the 20th of March. And this is what it said. Our collective position and posture as a church. Among the members of our leadership, staff, and community, you'll find a wide spectrum of beliefs about questions related to human sexuality and gender identity. And we believe that agreement on these questions should not be the basis of our unity, but the confession of Jesus as Lord by the Spirit is where we center our unity. We also believe that LGBT people have a right to know what they can expect from us in terms of belonging, involvement, leadership, and marriage. And the bottom line is that no one at Redeemer Central will be excluded from belonging, involvement, and leadership on the basis of their sexuality or gender identity. And we hope in time that we will have pastors or leaders available to perform weddings for same-sex couples. So they didn't have to be agreed on issues regarding human sexuality and gender identity. They could hold differing views, but their focus of unity was their confession of Jesus as Lord by the Spirit. Well, when I read that, there was a scripture came immediately to mind, Matthew 7, verse 21, where the Lord said, "'Not everyone that saith unto me, "'Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven,' but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. And I can assure them in the authority of the word of God that the will of the Father in heaven is not for so-called churches to bless so-called same-sex marriage. So, uh, as I say, uh, that's a church uh, in Belfast. There is one particular young man who is very influential in promoting progressive Christian ideas, his name is called Andrew Cunning. Uh, most Saturdays, the Belfast Telegraph religious affairs correspondent, Alf McCreary, he publishes a page which is made up of answers given by people of faith to a questionnaire that he has sent out. And in February of this year, he published the answers given by Andrew Cunning. So this is some of what was in that article. Tell me about your background. I am a 29-year-old theologian. I studied theology and English at Queen's University and would all have become a teacher. 
I recently lectured in theology at Trinity College Dublin, and I'm teaching public theology courses across Northern Ireland to make theology more accessible and conversational. So he was laying great emphasis on his theological qualifications and credentials. How and when did you come to faith? I became a Christian through my local youth fellowship in Coleraine. I am not sure what becoming a Christian means any longer. I do remember being told to ask for the forgiveness of my sins. Well, that's a pretty threadbare testimony, if I could even uh, call it that. There's no deep conviction of being uh, aware of the wrath of God resting on him and seeking forgiveness through the work of Christ. Question, have you ever had a crisis of faith or a gnawing doubt about your faith? In my early 20s, I was ready to pack in Christianity. The faith I was handed in youth fellowship didn't stand up to scrutiny. The Bible wasn't written by God. It wasn't error-free. And it really did contain some horrible passages. Well, I can say that someone who's been truly born again of the Spirit of God who knows that their sins have been fully forgiven, that there is a home in heaven reserved for them, and that they have been adopted into the family of God, there's no way they would ever consider supposedly packing in Christianity. In that answer, we got to the heart of the problem with progressive Christianity. The Bible wasn't written by God. It wasn't error-free. Question, have you ever been angry with God, and if so, why? I have a hard time thinking of God as a person. God, to me, is ultimate reality, the thing that makes possibility possible. So he has a hard time thinking of God as a person. Well, why then, when the disciples asked the Lord, how then should we pray, he said, our Father. In his great high priestly prayer, he referred to Holy Father. Well, to me, that is very much a personal relationship. It's not some uh, possible possibility sort of thing. Anyhow, do you ever get criticized for your faith and are you able to live with that criticism? Yes, for the past number of years, I've been quite public in making the case for a more progressive, inclusive theological landscape I get criticized for this, and the strongest criticism comes from socially conservative Christians. Well, that's a straw man. I oppose what he's doing, but it's not because I'm a socially conservative Christian. I am a biblically conservative Christian. I have a biblical worldview of what's happening out there, not some social political viewpoint. Are you ever ashamed of your own denomination? Yes, the Presbyterian Church in Ireland has fallen so far short of the gospel in recent years that I wouldn't dream of attending a regular service there. Well, what he's thinking of there is the PCI's attitude to LGBT matters. He doesn't like that. Uh, It's interesting to see, he has a Facebook page, and it's interesting to see who are his friends and supporters Uh, One of them is a man called Stephen Smurl. Well, who's he? Well, he was an elder in Christchurch Presbyterian near Dublin. And it was discovered last year that he is married to a man. 
And this was with the full knowledge of his minister, a lady called Catherine Meyer. So the Presbyterian Church have launched an investigation into it, quite rightly so. But obviously, uh, Mr. Cunning doesn't like that. Uh, Others who like his Facebook site is William Crawley of the BBC. Well, no real surprise there that he would like it. Uh, Another is Michael Wardlow. Who is he? Well, he was the head of the Equality Commission who dragged Asher's bakery through the courts at the cost of tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of taxpayers' money. And thankfully and rightly, they were vindicated of not having committed any particular crime. Uh, He's no longer in charge of the Equality Commission. And his new job, I have a wicked sense of humor, and it brought a smile on my face. He's now the head of TransLink. Uh, I gave an interview recently, and the interviewer, Bob McAvoy, he said, I better explain to the listeners, TransLink is, uh, you know, a company that looks after trains and uh, railways and buses and so on. But I thought it was a pretty apt place for Mr. Wardlow to go to. Uh, So those are some of Andrew Cunning's friends. Question, are you afraid of hellfire? Absolutely not. One of the biggest sins of the church is the invention of the idea of hell. It has done untold mental damage to millions of people. Well, once you reject the Bible as being the word of God, well, then you can just ignore the pieces that you don't like. And the Bible is very clear about the second death and the lake of fire and eternal conscious punishment. But he thinks it's an invention, a sinful invention by the church question, do you believe in a resurrection? And if so, what will it be like? I have no idea what the Bible means when it talks about a resurrection. Well, have you never read 1 Corinthians 15, which was read wonderfully at the Queen's funeral? Uh, It's quite clear what the resurrection is all about. He says, I'm much more compelled by his vision of what the world could look like if the wealthy and powerful were brought down and swords were beaten to plowshares. I really don't think a resurrection of the body will make everything okay. The work of building a kingdom of justice and mercy is continuous and now. This chap wants to fashion the kingdom of God here on earth, and it's a pipe dream because this world is headed for judgment. And they, it will be a wonderful world when the Lord comes back, creates all things new, and in our glorified bodies, we will live in a world completely different from this world. There will be no more tears and no more fears and no more years. It will make a big difference and so on. So those are just some of the things. I mentioned that he led great emphasis on being a theologian and about taking courses on theology. And one of them last year was held in the Carrickfergus uh, Harbour Faith Community Church. And there was four sessions, and the second session was called The Sources of Theology. And he wrote this, through exploring the four sources of theology and examining their relationship This session sets us up to do theology in our own way. So what are his four sources of theology? You have reason, experience, tradition, and scripture. And of course, that would be cherry-picked scripture because he doesn't think the Bible is the word of God. So he has three human inputs into his theology. 
and a passing reference to Scripture. Well, I can say, once you introduce human thinking and all the rest of it into your theology, you totally pollute it and poison it. Uh, Alan Kearns, uh, the late Alan Kearns, wrote a very helpful book, uh, Dictionary of Theological Terms, and he says this about theology. It's the systematic study of the being, attributes, purposes, and works of God and of the world, man, and history in relation to him. It is usually referred to as a science because it should be conducted by the investigation of the objective data of divine revelation, which has its full expression in the written and incarnate word. This basis in an objective divine revelation is what marks the difference between theology and philosophy or metaphysical speculation. With the spread of subjectivism, much of what passes for theology grows increasingly like speculative philosophy. Once we introduce reason, experience, and tradition to our understanding of theology, it's going to be wrong. When you think of reason, Peter made the great declaration, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. The Lord then would not explain how he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things and be killed. And Peter took him and said, no, 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 that's not a good idea at all. He was introducing human reasoning. And the Lord said, get thee behind me, Satan. And again, when it comes to experience, Peter, again, in one of his epistles, referred to a wonderful experience that he and others had, and that was the transfiguration of Christ. But even though he had that great experience, he said, but we have a more sure word of prophecy, and he was referring to the word of God. The problem with people who rely on experience, and a lot of charismatics do that, is that they judge the word in the light of their experience, whereas they should judge their experience in the light of the word of God. And as for tradition, well, the Roman Catholic Church is riddled with tradition and it preaches a false Christ and a false gospel. And in Colossians 2 verse 8, uh, the Apostle Paul warned about uh, giving heed to the traditions of man. So those sources of theology are totally dangerous and detrimental. That's the core problem of progressive Christianity. They do not adhere to sola scriptura. Uh, back in 2017, I spoke in many churches to mark the 500th anniversary of the Reformation, and one of them was here in your old building. And I spoke about sola scriptura, and I took two headings that were quite simple. One was the positive effects of accepting sola scriptura, and the negative defects of abandoning sola scriptura. And we see the negative defects in progressive Christianity because they have abandoned sola scriptura. Uh, John MacArthur, going back to the truth war, uh, he wrote uh, a very helpful uh, little uh, paragraph on page 11. He said this, the idea that the Christian message should be kept pliable and ambiguous seems particularly attractive to young people who are in tune with the culture and in love with the spirit of the age and can't stand to have authoritative biblical truth applied with precision as a corrective to worldly lifestyles, unholy minds, and ungodly behavior. And the poison of this perspective is being increasingly injected into the evangelical church body. And that applies particularly to Andrew Cunning. 
uh, on a Sunday sequence in, uh, um, interview. He quite casually threw in the line, I'm bisexual, by the way, and moved on to whatever else he was saying. But he just threw that in. Of course, he wasn't challenged uh, by whoever, the lady who was interviewing him. <coughs> so we are involved very much in a truth war, as John MacArthur said. Uh, I like what John Bunyan, or John Newton uh, wrote. He said about the Bible, it is the complete system of divine truth to which nothing can be added and from which nothing can be taken with impunity. Every attempt to disguise or soften any branch of this truth in order to accommodate it to the prevailing taste around us, either to avoid the displeasure or court the favor of our fellow mortals, must be an affront to the majesty of God and an act of treachery to man. My conscience bears me witness that I mean to speak the truth among you. And that is the need of the hour in the church, not only in Northern Ireland, but around the world. We need men to stand up and speak the whole counsel of God as revealed to us in the scriptures. There's nothing progressive about so-called progressive Christianity. It is totally regressive. In fact, it regresses all the way back to the Garden of Eden. What was the question Satan posed? Yea, hath God said. And these so-called progressives are basically saying to us, has God said that? Well, they don't accept it. That's the reality of it. Perhaps you're thinking this is pretty awful stuff. Uh, normally, I'm telling people to take heed. That's the name of my ministry. Well, I just want to close with another thought. Take heart. Because in spite of what is happening in so-called professing Christianity, the Lord will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And his plans and purposes will not be derailed. In Isaiah 46, verse 10, we read, My counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. Psalm 33, verses 10 and 11, The Lord bringeth the counsel of the heathen to naught, he maketh the devices of the people of none effect. The counsel of the Lord stands forever, the thoughts of his heart to all generation. So no satanic strategies will derail the plans and purposes of our God. And I'll leave you with three of my favorite words from the scripture. It's the first three words of Psalm 93. The Lord reigneth. These people in progressive Christianity may think that they are the bee's knees and they are the kings, but they're not. There will be a day of reckoning and they will recognize that the Lord reigneth. Amen. And may the Lord bless his word to our hearts. Let's just pray. Our Father, we thank you for the time we have spent together. We have been considering heavy matters but we know, Lord, that we are engaged in a battle for truth. We're engaged in spiritual warfare, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood. And Father, you have given us a suit of armor, not a suit of pajamas. You have given us the sword of the Spirit. Amen. And we pray, Lord, that you will guide us in how we use it to defend your truth and also to proclaim your truth. And Father, we pray for those who are led astray by this movement. Perhaps they have a zeal for God,
but it's not according to knowledge. And so, Lord, we pray that by whatever means that you would choose and use, you might bring them to a true saving knowledge of the true Lord Jesus Christ. So we ask these things in his name and for his sake and glory. Amen.